Hey, good morning, everybody. How are you doing? You turn graves into gardens. Man, isn't that amazing? Isn't that awesome? I love what is possible with God. And I love that God will never cease to amaze us. And I love what God's been doing in Ashley's story. I love what God's been doing in so many people's stories. I love what God's been doing in Heartland's story. If you're new or newer to Heartland, we're so glad you're here. Maybe you're checking out God. Maybe you're checking out church. Maybe you're checking out Heartland. We're just so thankful to have you here, especially on a day like today when we got to witness uh, this baptism. This is such a picture of what we're all about. The words that you see hanging behind me right now is that our whole mission is that we want to make space to build relationships for this right here, that we want to make Jesus first. And we celebrate that, especially when someone decides to step into these waters, because what they're declaring in baptism is that they have been saved and forgiven by the love of Jesus. They have been and are being changed by the love of Jesus. They are being led by the mission and purpose of Jesus in their life so that, and this is what happens when we make Jesus first, so that other people can experience more of who Jesus is. And that's my hope for you, for me, for us today, that as we lean into this book together as uh, we do this, that Jesus would become a little bit more, a little bit more first in our life as we learn to live for him. So if you're newer to Heartland, there's all sorts of ways that you can explore getting to know us a little bit better, some of the opportunities we have to make Jesus first in your life, out in our world, in our community. And in fact, at the end of this service, don't tune out at the end of this message because we have a really incredible opportunity. We're going to get to spend an extra few minutes hearing about a way that we can lean into this Jesus first life together. So that's coming up. But we are in week seven uh, of the series called The Good Life, which means we only have one more week of The Good Life. I know. You actually laughed, which I'm, I'm gracious for. I'm impressed. But we've been looking at this, uh, this, this life that what Jesus tells us the good life is and what it isn't. We've been taking this, this good life head on that the good life isn't a life of wealth or prestige or comforts or even good moral living. That the good life is a life of joy, and it's a life of peace and purpose. It's a life of meaning. This is the life that when Jesus said to us in John 10, 10, I have come to give you life and life to the full, this is the life that he had in mind for us. And it isn't a life that we have to wait for heaven to experience. We don't even have to wait for retirement to experience it. We can experience it right now, no matter what your life or what you're going through in this, in this world, no matter what that looks like. Jesus has a good life with him that we get to experience right now. And so if we want to recap where we've been for the past several weeks, it's this right here. You can't do anything to earn the good life, but you can do things to experience it. Think about that for a second. There's absolutely nothing that you and I could do to earn the good life. We can't buy it. We can't accomplish it. We can't perform our way into it. This is what we celebrated a couple months ago on Easter, is that Jesus did all that needed to be done so that you and I could have the good life. We can't do anything to earn it, but we can do things to get to experience it. This sounds confusing. I'm going to acknowledge that. It's, it's a little bit like this. Um, it's, if, it's if someone gave you a top-of-the-line, brand-new, super state-of-the-art smoker grill, okay? Anyone, we're Kansas City. That's got to, like, hit some people, hit home for some people, Right? Even, even if not, you know what I'm saying. Like, if someone gave you this grill, you could never make enough money to get this grill, and someone gave it to you. This is kind of what Jesus does for us when it comes to the good life that he has in mind for us. But if you just let that grill sit on your back patio and look pretty, you will never get to experience all of the benefits and perks of having that grill. You'll never get to taste the flavors of the food that come off of that grill. And this is what we mean 
There are things that we do to experience the good life. So for the past couple of weeks, we've been looking at some of those things that we do, some of the ways that we choose to live that allow us to lean into the good life that Jesus offers us. And we've been looking, we've been moving around in the, in the gospel of Luke, where the word, the word good shows up several, several different times. And we've been leaning into some of these different passages. And so today we're going to be in chapter 8. I'm going to read this, this for us. It's kind of a chunk, but just hang with me as we read this together. Luke writes in verse 4, chapter 8, that while a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, Jesus told this parable. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and it was trampled on and the birds ate it up. Some fell on rocky ground, and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and it yielded a crop a hundred times more than what was sown. And when he said this, he called out, whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. His disciples asked him what this parable meant. And Jesus said, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to others, I speak in parables so that though seeing they may not see, but in hearing they may not understand. So let's take, take a pause for a second. We'll jump back into the passage here in a moment. But Luke tells us that this large crowd had gathered around Jesus. The implication here is, since it's large, it's also a very diverse crowd. There's men, women, young, old, farmers, fishermen, all sorts of different professions and backgrounds, people coming from all sorts of different towns around the region. Everyone is interested in, in what Jesus has to say. Because if we go back a few verses earlier, Luke tells us that Jesus had been proclaiming the kingdom of God. He'd been teaching and announcing the kingdom of God. Now, this word kingdom, that's an attention getter if you live in the first century. Because everything about your way of life, everything about your people's way of life, your family's way of life for centuries has been defined, has been dominated by whoever was ruling at the time, by the kingdoms of the world. As long as you can remember, it was the kingdom of Israel, it was the kingdom of Egypt, it was the kingdom of Babylon, the kingdom of Assyria. Assyria. Now the, the kingdom, the empire of Rome. And everything about your life is determined, it's at the mercy of whoever, whatever king and kingdom are in power at the time. So then comes along this rabbi, Jesus, who's talking about a new kingdom. And people wanted to know about this kingdom. They said, well, well, who's the king of this kingdom? And Jesus says, well, God is. And they asked, well, when will this kingdom come? And he says, it already has. Well, then where is this kingdom? And Jesus says, it's here. It's among you. This is confusing if you're one of those people listening to Jesus talk about this kingdom. And so to help people understand this new kingdom, Jesus teaches them in a unique way. He uses parables. Maybe when you think of a parable, you think of a kind of a cute little story. But for Jesus, this was a parable was a simple and a new way to teach complex truths. And so he would use these parables over and over again to describe this kingdom, to announce it, to invite people into it, and to explain what life in the kingdom looks like, how you live as part of this kingdom of God that Jesus was bringing to this earth. And so here, this is one of the few parables that Jesus actually explains for his listeners. And it goes like this, picking back up in verse 11. Jesus says, this is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear, and the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that, they may believe and be, so that they may not believe and be saved. Those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. 
They believed for a while, but in the same, but in the time of testing, they fall away. The seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked out by life's worries, by riches and pleasures, and they do not mature. But the seed on good soil stands for those with noble and good heart who hear the word, who retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. So Jesus says to this crowd, and he says to I believe us too. He says, here's how to understand this parable. Here's kind of the key for us. The sower, well, that's Jesus. He's the sower scattering the seed. The seed is God's word. This is everything that Jesus has been teaching uh, since he came onto the scene. He's he's reaching back into the Old Testament. He's teaching God's word. He's, He's explaining it for people. He's talking about this kingdom. Everything that he says and teaches is is God's word. And the soil, well, that's you. That's me. This is, this is us. Now, you don't need to be a farmer to know that a good crop, Dan talked about Field of Dreams a couple weeks ago. We're really into farming these days. Uh, but you don't need to be a farmer to know that a good crop depends on good soil. It takes more than just good seed. You need good soil to grow that seed in. So if you want, here's how it plays into this series, if you want to experience the good life of God's kingdom, Ask yourself one question. What kind of soil are you? If you hear about this good life that we've been talking about in this series, if you hear Jesus talk about the good, the full, the abundant, the satisfying life that he came to give us, we have to ask ourselves, well, what kind of soil are the seeds of his words being planted in? I listened to a podcast while I was reaching this sermon that was all about soil. It was called Stuff You Should Know. This was the most boring podcast I have ever listened to in my whole life. It was two guys who basically had read every article about dirt and the history of writing and wanted to regurgitate all of this information. It was awful. I don't recommend it. Um, I was mowing the lawn at the same time, though, so at least something productive was happening. But other than that, I'll never get those, those two hours back. But I did learn, I learned one thing that I found somewhat kind of interesting. Maybe you will, too. It's that there's a difference between dirt and soil. Did anyone know this? Oh, there you go. I just saved you two hours. There's a difference between dirt and soil. And the difference is that dirt is matter that is physically incapable of any sort of nourishment. It lacks two things. It lacks nutrients, minerals, to feed life within it, and it lacks space. That you can have soil, but if it's compacted so tightly that there's no space, no air within it, then life could never, could never grow within it. That's, that's dirt. Soil, on the other hand, soil has minerals and air that allow growth to happen. Here's the takeaway. The goodness of the soil is based on the ability of something to grow in it. Let me repeat that again. The goodness of the soil is based on the ability of something to grow in it. And so Jesus explains this parable. He says there's four soils, four types of soils that the seed fell on. The first, we're going to walk through these real quick. The first was a hard path where the seed got trampled on and snatched away. We could think of this just as dirt, okay? It's just a hard path. Maybe it's just a kind of a base of rock. Think of this as those who have a closed mind. This is those who are closed off. If this is you, maybe you're closed off to the possibility of God. Maybe you had a season like this in your life where you were closed off closed off to the possibility that there's anything helpful or true in this book. You're closed off to that. Or maybe you've been reading this book for a while, but you've kind of come to a place where you're, you're, you're closed off from thinking that you have anything left to learn. 
about it. This happens. Or, you know, Jesus says that as soon, as soon as his words fall on the soil of a hard heart, the devil snatches them away, snatches those seeds away. When we moved into our house, when we moved to Kansas City a couple years ago, our previous homeowners were incredible gardeners. And they had just spent a lot of money landscaping the yard and putting on all of these beautiful plants um, and just making a really, really beautiful, like, back patio. And uh, a year later, uh, we looked at this patio and... and all, I mean, all the shrubs were gone. All of the flowers, what's the ones that come back every year? Perennial, per, thank you, thank you. <laughs> like, perennials, annuals, we can't, those, they, they're done. They, they didn't come back, okay? Uh, we had these small trees that, that, that died. Uh, they actually like got ripped out. And, and all of this beautiful ground cover that, that had been planted and spread out was just, was just pure dirt. The reason? The reason why this magnificent oasis of gardening turned to this absolute pile of just trash was because of a two-year-old yellow Labrad Labrador called Rudy. <laughs> Rudy's a cute dog. He is annoying as all get out, and he doesn't stop. He physically pulled out every single ounce of life that was in this garden. These trees, I showed a picture, I went up to the nursery, I showed the picture of this tree that used to be there, and, and the, the nursery person was like, oh wow, that's like a $250 tree that was about this tall. I was like, yeah, no, we're not going to replace that. <laughs> there was life, and it was snatched out. And, and Jesus says that when, when Jesus' words fall on good soil, something snatches them away. It's not a two-year-old Labrador retriever. He says it's something even worse than that. It's the devil. The devil loves to steal the seeds of life that fall into the soil. The devil loves to trample over them, kind of like a two-year-old Labrador running back and forth to see what's on the other side of the fence. Because this is what the devil loves to do, to steal, to kill, and destroy. And what he will steal is anything that will help you experience more of the goodness of God. And Jesus' word will help you experience the goodness of God. This is why back in the Garden of Eden, one of the first things that the devil said to Adam and Eve when, when God left them alone in the garden, the devil said, did God really say, don't eat from this tree? Because the devil knew that all he had to do was create question and suspicion to, about what God had said to create distance between God and people. And this is what he does all of the time. This is why we're so committed to the teachings of this book, even the parts that we don't understand, that we're going to read them, that we're going to wrestle with them, so that we don't become that hard soil where God's word gets snatched away by the enemy. Now, here's the second soil. The second soil is the word of God that is received with joy, but it never takes root. It's, it's what I'll call the conflicted soil, Okay. Jesus says that this soil represents those who believe the word of God for a while, but then in a time of testing, they fall away. If this is you, what happens is this is when the word of God is preached to you and maybe something hits home. It gives you some clarity. Maybe you even have some sort of spiritual aha, or you feel challenged. Maybe you even feel convicted. But then in a few days, when you or I are forced between the truth of God and some temptation, Temptation wins. Or in a few days, when you're forced to choose between following Jesus and his words or following something or someone else, that something or someone else wins. Or when you live here, and the, or when you go out from here, you leave here and some struggle or challenge comes, which it will, in that moment your faith hits empty. 
The reason Jesus says is because his words never went below the surface of your heart. They never took root. My parents live uh, west of St. Louis about an hour. And um, they left for a couple weeks of vacation back early, kind of late winter, January or so. And when they came back, they moved into this house about 15 years ago. And when they moved in, they had, they had um, a bunch of trees planted in their, in their front yard. And when they came back from this vacation uh, this year, they found all of these trees had been blown over. Now, these trees had grown fine for like 15 years. And they were planted somewhat mature. And, and these were big trees that had just been complete, like not the branch fell or the trunk kind of split in half. Like the whole, the whole root was uprooted. Every one of these trees had uprooted and fallen over with the storm that had come through. And they're like, wow, this must have been some crazy storm. But when they looked closely with their neighbors at these trees, here's what they found. The wires around the root ball had never been cut. And I guess that's something that you're supposed to do when you plant a tree. So that the roots have, have space to, to move out, to give it, to give it uh, depth and width to support itself against the storms and the winds that they would face. This is like some of us. We hear the word of God, but, but we never let the roots get deep enough to strengthen us against the challenges that come our way. That's the second soil. The third soil is, is the, so, the seed that fell. It got some roots, but it grew among the thorns. We'll call this the choked out soil. Jesus says that this is those who hear the word of God, but as they go on their way, the word gets choked out by worries, choked out by wealth, and choked out by the pleasures of life. I bet none of those hit home for anyone here. It's like Jesus knows what he's talking about. It's like he's reading your mail and mine. The worries of this world, wealth, and the pleasures of life. So let me just ask that question. Just take a moment on your own. What are the, what are the worries and wants that could be choking you? Maybe right now you're thinking about the worries of your week. You're making a grocery list. You're setting your calendar, scheduling some meetings, thinking about some, some to-dos. And I get it. I do the same thing too. I mean, not here, but, you know, like... Other churches that I may have been in in my life. But I would never do that here. I'm kidding. Uh, we do that because it feels so productive. It feels so responsible. The problem with worry is that it feels so productive to us. Someone said that this week. And I said, that's huge. <laughs> so what are the worries for you? What are the wants that are, that are, on, that are on your wish list? What's the, and maybe it's the bigger TV. It's the toys you're saving up for. The job with the higher income that you're staking your hopes on. I'll tell you, I'll tell you what it is for me. Now that I'm... Like stepping on your toes, let me step on mine too. The things that it is for me are the, it's the wants I have that I think will make my life a little less worrisome. Because that's what wants are. It's the things that make your life less worrisome. Because this is the soil we live in as Americans. This is what we're known for here in Johnson County. Because there is something in all of us that believes a little more wealth, a little more comfort will make things better on us. Now hear me, Jesus doesn't care about the size of your TV. He doesn't care about the kind of car that's in your garage or if you have a car. He doesn't care about the amount of money that's in your pocket. But what he does care about is your heart and mine. And what he knows is how easily our worries and wants can consume our hearts and he knows how easily, like weeds and thorns in a the garden, these things can choke and crowd out the better life that he wants for us. That's the third soil. And then we get to the fourth soil, the good soil. 
It's where the seed gets nourished and has room to grow and mature into fruit. We'll call this the cultivated soil. Now, to, to cultivate is to make something suitable for growth. It's to prepare it. It's to nourish it. This is, this is why so many of you are spending time this month at, at nurseries and garden centers and, and home stores. It's so that you can come home with all of this stuff right here, right? <laughs> or maybe you've piled this up over the years. Now, now what you want, what you want in your garden, you want this. I bought this for $19.99 outside Menards. But if I want this to stay like this, it's going to take this. Because what you know, what I know, what we've learned is that, here, I'll put it over here so you can look at it. It's pretty. Uh, good soil doesn't just happen. It takes weed fabric. It takes kind of some starter soil. It takes some, some tilling. This is cool. I never knew this existed. This was, this was new for this year. I have blisters all over my hands. But you can till. Look at that. Plant your, till your garden like that. Isn't that cool? You need weed preventer. You need whatever this is. Yeah, you need that too. And hose stuff. You need this fencing to keep the rabbits out, but not the dogs, because the dogs could jump over that. So I need higher fencing. Like, good soil takes work, doesn't it? Because we want that. But that looks like a lot of work. Jesus says that the seed of his word falls when it falls on a good soil. It produces a crop that's a hundredfold. Now, we don't know what that means. Most of us, we aren't farmers. But back in that day, a crop of 30-fold, that was a really great year. A crop of 60-fold, that would, that would put you in the record book. A crop of 100-fold? Man, that would just, that's unimaginable. Jesus is actually using this phrase. He's actually blowing up, the, exploding the imaginations for people of the good life that he wants you and I to experience. Now, here's the good news. If we look at this and we're like, wow, good soil takes a lot of good work. How do I get my life to be able to produce that? Here's the good news is that Jesus says any soil can become good soil. Even the hardest of soil, even the rockiest of soil, even the dirt of all dirts, the most lifeless pile of dirt can be cultivated in the kind of soil that can yield a hundredfold crop. And you don't need any of this. You just need one thing, Jesus says. And it shows up in verse 18. He says, the one thing that you need, after explaining the whole parable, Jesus boils its entire meaning down to one thing. He uses this powerful word, therefore. He says, therefore, consider carefully how you listen. Can we just say that together? Listen. listen. Let's try again. I kind of set you up a little awkwardly there. Listen. One, two, three. Listen. There you go. You got it. There it is. Jesus says that if you want to cultivate your heart, if you want to ready your heart and prepare it to become good soil, just consider carefully how you listen. Listen to what? You listen to his words. Amen. You listen to God's words. But let's be honest. Listening is not our strong suit. Just, just this aside. Listening is not, it's not our strong suit. It's one of the most frequently uttered commands in Scripture because it's one of the hardest things for us to do. There's an author, pastor, founder of a prayer movement called Pete Gregg. Uh, he, wrote a, he wrote a great book I'd highly recommend called How to Hear God by Pete Gregg. And in it, he says that learning to hear God's voice is the single greatest thing you and I will ever do. This is, why, this is why later this year we're actually working on, we're planning a series on how do we hear the voice of God? 
So hang out around this year as we, as we make plans for that. But Pete Gregg writes in this book, hearing God's voice is not so much a skill we must master as it is a master we must meet. I love that. It's not so much a skill we must master as it is a, a master we must meet. <clears throat> it starts, he says, hearing God starts by realizing that the Bible is the language of God's heart. So I want to help us with this. I want to help us learn how do we listen to God? How do we listen to his words to us? Because this is what we're doing right now. You have spent time in your week. You've turned on a, a, a TV or a phone or a YouTube channel. We are here investing time. How do we get the most out of it? How do we listen to God's word? Here's the first thing. It all comes down to how we listen. Listen attentively. Listen attentively. Now, the word listen shows up in this passage. Uh, the Greek word for it is the Greek word, if you want to impress your friends, akouin is the Greek word for it. It shows up about 10 times in this passage. Sometimes in this passage, it, get translate, it gets translated to listen. But most of the time in this passage, it gets translated into hear. Because the translators want to help us know that Jesus had two different things in mind. That there is a difference between hearing something and listening. You get that, right? Like, we can hear something, but that's not the same as listening to something. Hearing is something that one of our five senses do. It's what you naturally do to your kids or your spouse or your friends or your coworkers when they're talking. That's hearing. Listening is what you get in trouble by them for not doing. This is when my wife looks at me, and she's been talking for several minutes, and she says, are you listening to me? And I say, yeah, of course I am. She says, so listen with your face. Sometimes she grabs it and points, listen with your face. That's the difference between hearing and listening. Hearing is effortless. Listening is a choice. This is why Eugene Peterson in the message translation, right in the middle of the parable, when Jesus says, let, let them who have ears, let them hear, Eugene Peterson translates this, are you listening? Like, are you really listening? I think this is a question that Jesus is asking us when it comes to this book, when it comes to these sermons, when it comes to your small group discussions or just your, your own time in the, in the word during the week. Are you listening? Really listening? Because if listening to the people in our own home is hard, then listening to God is even harder. And so when it comes to the Bible, do you hear it or do you listen to it? When you read the Bible on your own, what happens to the words that you read? When you hear a sermon, what happens to the words that you hear? We can't just hear it. We have to listen attentively. First thing, listen attentively, but also listen with humility. When it comes to God's word, listen with humility. When I planted these flowers, I've got these blisters on my hands because tilling the soil is hard. I didn't have this thing. I had this thing and, and this thing to, to till the soil and it left my hands kind of all beaten up. I think humility is the tiller of our hearts. It breaks up the hard surfaces of our heart. It breaks up the hard soil of our pride and our self-assurance. Is this a tiller, by the way? I just assumed it was. Does that look right? People, you with me? You got it. Yeah. I think, I think close enough. Uh, I, I think humility does this to us. It softens our hearts. It breaks up the hard stuff. It mixes things up. It welcomes new things into the surface of our lives. This is something that is not easy. Humility is probably one of the hardest things for us to do. One of the reasons why we're probably terrible listeners uh, today and as Americans is because we're just not very humble people. 
that we don't like accepting direction from others because it implies we're not in charge or that we don't know as much as we like to think that we do. That when I, when I go look for how to do something, I jump to the part that feels most helpful or relevant and I skip the rest. When I watch a video, um, I scrub ahead to only the most thing, parts that I feel like are, are most important. I think we can do the same thing with God's Word. One of the ways we do that is when we only accept the pieces of it that we agree with. So things that conveniently align with the values that we already have or the vision for our life that we already have. We hold tightly to those things and we hide those things behind the hard surface of our hearts. But what God's word wants to do, Hebrews tells us it's living and active, it's sharper than a double-edged sword. It's a tiller that softens up our hearts so that we can welcome the good seeds of his words into our life. Now, here's, here's the hard truth. The hard but good truth that we have to wrestle with if we want the good life that Jesus offers us. You ready for it? Jesus is actually more of an expert on life in the world than we are. There wasn't any amens on that. It's either because you don't agree with that, which is fair, we're a safe place to be honest, or you're wondering, do I really believe that? Do I live like that? that Jesus could actually be more of an expert on life and the world than I am. He's not just an expert on spiritual matters. Jesus knows relationships better than us. He knows business better than us. He knows leadership better than us. He knows the realities and the stresses of the world better than any of us because he created these things. He created the world and he lived in the midst of it. I read a report uh, from Gallup which said that the Bible is the least read, best-selling book that there is. Does that surprise anyone? It is, the least, it is the least read, and it is declining every year. That's not a surprise. But it is the least read, yet continues to be the best-selling book of all time. George Gallup Jr., he noted, we revere the Bible, but we don't read it. That can be true of us. Maybe that's true of you. Maybe you revere it, but you don't read it. You believe it to be powerful. You believe it even to be holy, maybe even helpful. But do you read it? But I think as followers of Jesus, not only this can be true of us, but if we were to reverse this, not only do we revere the Bible, but we don't read it, but maybe we read it, but we don't revere it. Think about that. Do you revere the Bible? Do you read it with reverence? Do you read it with humility? We listen attentively. We listen with humility. And here's, here's the last thing. We listen with urgency. Back in Luke 8, right after Jesus explains this parable, Jesus' mother and brother showed up to see him. But the crowd was so thick and spread so far around Jesus that his mother and brothers couldn't get there. And, and Luke is taking this whole passage right to this moment to kind of bring it to a, a climax. It says that someone told Jesus, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to see you. And Jesus replies, my mother and brothers are those who hear God's word and put it into action. Most other translations will say that those, my mother and brothers are those who hear God's word and do it. Jesus implies that his family is made up of those who do something with the teachings that he offers them, that the difference in our listening is in the doing. 
It feels like this tense moment is happening, like especially if you're Jesus' mother and brothers on the other side of this statement. But Jesus knew something. So we read all the way back in Isaiah 55, 11, one of Jesus' favorite books of the Old Testament that says, God says, it is the same with my word. I send it out and it always produces what? Fruit. It always produces fruit. It always produces life. It will accomplish all that I want it to do and it will prosper everywhere I send it. The God's word, when it goes out, it does something. It doesn't just fall on the surface. It grows, it moves, and it moves us to action. There are, there are things, this is a promise, I think, when we read these words in Isaiah. This is a promise. There are things that, Heartland, that God wants to accomplish in you and me. There are things that he wants you to see and to know. There's growth that he wants you to experience. There's hope that he wants you to have. There's healing that he has in mind for us. There's purpose that he wants you and I to live with. And the way that he wants to accomplish, the way that he will accomplish these things in your life and mine is through his words in you and me. And so the question is, what are you, what am I, what are we doing with the teachings of Jesus in our life? See, we can be so good at never getting to this step. Just, just think of some of the things that we have heard in this series. I'll just go back a few weeks because I know it's hard to remember back, but just a, just a couple of helpful reminders. When, when Jesus talks about loving your neighbor, have you done it? Have I? Loving your enemies? A lot of us are still kind of working on that one. We're still reflecting on it. Last week, Kristen challenged us to just choose to spend time with Jesus. How'd that go? This is one of the reasons why I love baptism. Because Jesus tells us to repent, to believe, and to be baptized. And this is how we do it. This is what Ashley did before our very eyes. This is what so many of you have done at some moment in your life. But are you still doing it? Are you still doing something with the words of God in your life? Author Francis Chan, he creates a great picture of what this is like. He says, it's like if I tell my kids to clean their room, I'll just tell the story as if it was myself because this happens all the time. And I come home at the end of the day and I ask them if they clean their room and they said, no, but we thought about it. And I'm like, yeah, but, but did you clean it? They said, no, but we memorized what you said. See where we're going here? I said, yeah, but did you clean it? And they said, no, we sang about it, though, and it was a moving service. (laughs) We got in a small group, and we talked about all the ways that we could clean our rooms, if we ever were to clean our rooms. We studied it in the Greek. (laughs) But did you clean your rooms is the question. The difference is in the doing. Now, I don't want to dismiss reflecting. I don't want to dismiss the, the, the vital components of discussing God's word because these are things that help us better know what God is saying to us. This is why one of the biggest things we encourage around here is, is making space for relationships, of having conversations, continuing the conversation of what Jesus has started with us here on Sunday, that whatever he's saying to you right now, that we should have conversations about that with other people, that when we take those steps to reflect and to discuss This allows us to think about some of the two most important questions we have to ask if we want to see the fruit of God's word in our life. And there are these two questions. Is it, what am I hearing from God? What is he teaching me? And there's no shortage of things that he's teaching us. 
Pete Gregg says, we put so much urgency on God to show up and speak when the real urgency is on us to show up and listen. God has already spoken. What am I hearing him say to me? And then the second important question, what am I doing about it? See, these two questions, they result in a shift in our life. Our roots go deeper and we experience more of the fruit of the good life that Jesus came to give us. Last weekend, I had one of these moments I love as a pastor around here. It was when one of our Heartlanders came up and said, hey, God used one of the messages at Heartland a while back to make a really big difference in my life. It encouraged me to do something that I don't think I ever would have done. This person had a really hard relationship that had been causing a lot of, a lot of pain, and, and she was content just to leave it distant, to leave it separated, but there was something in this message, something about what she had heard from the Word of God that morning that encouraged her to do something different, to take a step. And I loved hearing this. I had this message on my mind as she was sharing this with me, and so I was able to tell her, I was like, do you know why this happened? It's because you were listening. It's not just because God's word was being read and preached. It's because you were listening to it. You were listening attentively. You were listening with humility. You were listening and moved to action because of it. The words we were reading from this book met her in a situation that she was dealing with, which is what always happens when we read this book. God wants to speak these words into our lives. But because this person did something about it, she got to experience some healing that she never thought would be possible. She got to experience the beautiful life, the fruit of the good life that Jesus came to earth to give all of us. And it happens when we listen to his words and we put them in action. This is what I love about our church. We're a church that always wants to do something with what we're learning that we have a desire to do something with the things that Jesus teaches us, that we want to be a church who's moved to action. We don't just talk about making him first. We really want to do that. We really try to do that. We, we do that. We don't just talk about community and serving and generosity. We do it. We don't just talk about God's mission in the world. We do it. So many of you are doing it. You're listening to God's word. And you're doing it. 